0: Okay, people, so you know what? I thought we were done, but it only seemed right to do a roundup episode. So here we are, another episode of Echo Chamber. You know what I mean? Another little bonus content for you, and we're going to round up Sci Fi London. So, Sci Fi London took place the 15th to the 22nd of May. 2019, it was the 19th incarceration of this festival. So, you know, I me mean? to go that long, it's gonna be do, doing something right, right? And, um, yeah, there was so much happening, you know, there were a whole ton of, um, like UK and world premiere films. There was a shorts festival, which was great a forty eight hour film challenge and um there was like um hack stock that took place at our pop up and um yo, this was pretty cool, so there was arcade machines, and there was a lot of kind of um like v r stuff. For people to come and try. So um, you know, there was a number of different headsets, and you could you, you just booked a spot and you came in and you could um yeah, give all of this crazy 360 VR a little whirl. Um so the uh the ones that were there uh there was um the all-seeing eye from uh, Marius. Matson. uh there was cyber dream from jean Winnie, Winel uh in the machina um from Liam Brady um future warfare simulator the year 2030 from Jason Trembath aurora From Alfie Doyle. uh, Rocketman 360. From Milo Simulov. um, Symphatic threads. From Gregory Ferris. And the book of true feelings. From Dave Jason Alquist. So those were all the directors of the pieces. um, And there was a lot of talent involved. In putting those together. Uh, Which was great, and I got a chance to speak with um, the guys behind the Book of True Feelings and N. Mackina, which was, um, yeah, a lot of fun. Um, Really good conversations. And so, yeah, the festival, it kicked off on the 15th with um, a screening of The Perfect. Or just perfect, you know. Yeah. Uh, Then the next day, there was After the Lethargy and um, Black Flowers on the 16th. So then on the 17th, there was The Tangle and Fontatune. An Electric fairy tale uh, on the 18th, we had alien addiction and um, an accelerator oh, and Shed of the Dead. Man, ah, nearly forgot about that one. On the 19th, there was a documentary, Chasing Einstein, uh, another documentary called Artist. Depiction, um, and then the films that day were Magic and Last Sunrise, um, and the Final Land. Uh, then on the twentieth we had Zoo Head. After we leave, and then on the. Twenty. Well, on the twenty-first there was um shorts and a networking, and um yeah, on the last day, the twenty-second, there was Lucid and the Risen Possession. Um, so yeah, a lot of films, a lot of films, and as I said, there was a short program. uh so there was four different blocks. All showing a host of of short films, which was um re- extremely interesting. Um, now so out of everything, you know, I was like there trying to speak with as many people as I could. Like one of the first people I spoke to at the festival was Jessica Graham, and she was um. The producer and one of the stars of The Tangle. And, um, yeah, she was so friendly and nice and just easy to talk to. And we just talked about so many different things. Uh, and it was great. And, uh, yeah, she she was happy enough to do the podcast. So, we did an interview. Unfortunately... The sound got corrupted, Um, so that conversation, uh, it's not there. But we're going to have another talk shortly, and that will go out. So, um, you know, that's all good. Also, um, I spoke with the talent behind Black Flowers. So that was um, Martin Gooch and Krista Deville. Millie sorry. Um, so friendly and great. And I, like, I bumped into Krista so many times and always smiling, always friendly, just a great person. And so that, yeah, that's another good interview that we had. Um, who else did we? I got, oh, man, something that was really um, just a, a huge shame because uh i was able to speak to shay sterling um who is a, a great guy really interesting funny um we just couldn't sync anything up so unfortunately we didn't get to do an interview but um yeah the review is there um john jones and david Genetti from accelerator had um yeah some great conversations with those guys And Accelerator is such a fun film, Uh, which was, um, yeah, yeah, just, it really reminds you of a 90s actioner. Uh, Then, um, yeah, I I got to speak with um, Damien Leary, who had a a short playing. It was... um, Captain Treya smiles at the stars, which um, I pronounced wrong so many times when we (laughs) were able to sit down. Oh, it it, it was, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Um, I also got to speak with um, Chuck Armstrong. So he was one of the Charleses who were behind N. Machina. And uh, Jason Altvist and Jim Brewer Who were behind Book of True Feelings So those two, another two great interviews that we had Over the course of um, all of our episodes And um, yeah, ended the show with Uh, really interesting conversation with Matt Mitchell who is the director of The Risen Possession so all the films I I basically was able to review most of the films that took place over the course of uh, this festival and um, I have to say like my my top films from this festival, I would, I would definitely. Ah, oh, man, it is so hard because I really did enjoy everything I watched. You know, like there was some that I think were better than others, but there was no, there was nothing that just stunk. You know what I mean? That was just like, ugh, this is dreadful. Um, but I think if. If I had to pick, oh, this is tough. Um, All right, so if I had to pick my top three films, actually, no, I'm not gonna do that (laughs) because that is just too tough. But I will tell you the films that I think really stood out. Um. Okay, so, um, hmm, okay, so the ones that I thought, and I, yeah, Alien Addiction. I just thought the humor in this film was just so good, and it was you're just engrossed all the way through. It, It was really funny. Different kind of concepts. It, I I don't think I've come across in films before, so that was definitely a standout. Um, Accelerator. Yeah, that was just because it it really reminds you of a nineties action film with just you know some of those crazy lines, crazy plots. So yeah, I definitely that one I I would definitely say after we leave after It was just so well put together And it just reminds you that You know, sci-fi doesn't have to be showy It can be gritty, ground level kind of A kind of fair, you know uh i thought lucid was really polished and well put together the risen possession because nothing made me jump as much as that goddamn film i i would i would then if i just one more film i'd say the tangle and I'd say The Tangle because, again, I think it really stands out. Because it's not like, I think, other films that you will see. There is a poetry to this film. Like, the dialogue is like a 180 from anything else. You know, it is... It's basically poetry, you know, it's like a lullaby, it really just flows so well, and it's so different, you know, so yeah, it's got to be that, but I think, yeah, those are the ones that stood out for some sort of reason, like the other films, as I said, look, they were all great films, but yeah, I would say these ones just really... They had just set something a little different. Because we had, you know, things like... Um, Magic reminded me of, like, the X-Files. And it it was different. It was interesting. The, the, the lead, she was great. You know, so we things like this. Black Flowers are, like, Krista was great in the film like the you know the the way it starts off with the fun kind of song well it's like the upbeat song but the song is kind of questioning things as well and then we just go into the craziness uh but you know just the way it ended on the on the hope and the possibility just really enjoyed that so yeah we had a lot of different things um but it was it was just a, an all and all it was a great festival you know there was all of these people fantastic talent it was just having that opportunity to talk to so many incredible people you know it it was great and um you know like just all the volunteers there as well just it was interesting talking to different people. Like, Louis is... Louis is a gem, man. Louis is, is just interesting. He's fun. He's a good dude. Like, Marta, who was... Um, yeah, he he's second into command. Just ran around like a friggin' trooper. Like, the video team. Like, Adele and... Um, Oh my gosh, it's so bad. I forget the other lady who was behind the camera. They were fantastic. so uh, we like we'd always just meet up and talk about the different interviews that we've grabbed each day and how we're finding it. Yeah, it was great. It was great. but um people, I will definitely recommend to, um, yeah, coming next year, 2020. The 20th anniversary. You know. So you know. It's going to be a little special. Alright. Going to be a little special. So if you've got films. Hey submit those films. People submit them. Because. Hey this is a top festival man. So you know I mean. To get your film possibly shown. It's definitely going to do something. For your career. Uh. And you know what? I'm going to end things with a conversation I had with David Giancola. Um So we'd already spoken with him and John James about Accelerator. But I was able to grab some more time and we just talked about filmmaking and his career. So, uh, yeah. Take a listen, and um, hopefully you will find it as interesting as I did. All right, let's give this a whirl. Okay, so I'm here with David Giancola, um, the director of the director, um, co-writer, producer of um, Accelerator. The, the new film that's um, hitting the festival circuit at the moment, and um, yeah, we're just going to talk about the early days. Sure, you know, because um, I think everyone's everyone's heard it. If you haven't, people go and listen to the interview with David and John James where they're talking about Accelerator. But now, David, how did you get into um, like film directing, like, was it something that you always wanted to do?
1: Well, for me, I was uh, of the age where I think I was eight, between 8 and 10, and 12 that age, in the, in the 80s when, kind of the mid-80s when the blockbuster was created, which you, you're mm. talking Spielberg's Jaws, of course George Lucas' Star Wars, Richard Donner's Superman... Um, and that was a time where if you were that age, you'd walk into the theater and just be blown away and transported to another world. Yes. And that was, for me, coming from, I live in a, a small town in Vermont, um, you know, that, that for me was just, and I know other, I've heard other filmmakers have that kind of same backstory. That time period of that blockbuster was just, um, it, it was just, that would, I just was like, this is what I want to do. And my then I kind of got into special effects, and then I kind of got into filmmaking because you know when you're that young, you don't quite even realize what's going on behind the camera. You're mm. just like you're a kid, and you walk into that theater, grab some popcorn, and you're Luke Skywalker or whatever. So, so that's where the interest came really young. And then I was that kid with the the Super Eight millimeter home movie camera, making movies with my friends, and um, and all kinds of crazy stuff, and uh, and and that led into. Um, you know, after I, once I was in high school, I was working, um, we have, um, what they call public access stations. I mean, have Oh, one, okay. um, where, where, like with Comcast, they make them, um, do a certain amount of local content. Not really.
0: I don't really think we have that kind of no. thing. We have kind of regional, like back in the day, there used to be regional kind of TV.
1: Right. Um,
0: I think we've kind of moved away from that now. Okay,
1: with the internet and everything. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think kind of... Because we'd have, like, our our three major... Back in the day, it was three channels, so BBC Mm -hmm. One, um, BBC Two, and ITV. Right. And ITV used to be, like, I think... A, a company called ITN used to make up a lot of their programming. Mm-hmm. And so you'd have ITN London and then ITN Yorkshire. And, and so it's broken gotcha. up like that. I think we've moved away from that sure. now. Sure. But yeah, you that's one so, thing you hear about so, in the States with the local access. Yeah, so,
1: so in, in, in the U.S. there was, there was um, you know actual broadcasters and you'd have a broadcaster in your local area. And then as cable started to come in, um, Comcast, Time Warner, that kind of a thing... They were starting to have a bit of a monopoly, and they were killing these, these smaller stations. And so the government, that uh, they made a deal with the government that they had to do a certain amount of local prog- prog- programming helping uh, the community. Uh, and so they, they would do things like, you know, cover, um, you know, select board meetings or aldermen's meetings or town meetings, things like that. And they also, part of it was that they were to make the equipment um, a camera and editing facilities available to the pub- public and train them. Oh. So as a, as, a, as a guy in junior high and high school uh, in the small town there was this small kind of mini TV station that I could go use for free um, make my movies use professional cameras professional editing equipment and they had to as long as I aired it then that was great and they would give me access to it and there weren't that many people using it and it was one of those things that Now in in the U.S. it's pretty... Actually, now in the U.S. it's starting to be in the decline because of the internet and everything else. But it was a time, um, again, in the 80s when, you know, I could get access to professional equipment. And so I started doing that in high school. And then I became a senior in high school and uh, I had friends who were ahead of me in film school, you know. And they weren't getting their hands on the camera. You know, they were were being forced to take a year or two of... uh, basics or a year or two of right, theater. Right. Two. I did not want to do that. I want to get my hands in the camera and get my hands dirty right Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So I um, got out of high school and um, opened my business edge Studios. And the way that I learned was we were, we filmed everything from uh, weddings, legal depositions, anything anybody would pay us to film, we would right. film. it. We bought some, some pro video equipment for the company and, and I would, I would, I filmed some funerals. I people paid me, so I filmed them. Okay, I want to film a funeral, but people do that, and I did that, and um, that eventually transitioned into doing television commercials, both for cable and, and broadcast, and and industrial videos and that kind of a thing. Mm. But uh, you know, and, and and eventually the company was doing pretty well doing all that, and I brought a partner on. But I always wanted to do dramatic work. I always wanted to do features. So. Um, I went on about a sixteen. Great with video, but I knew film was the way to go. Yeah. So I went on and bought an Eclair sixteen millimeter film camera, and I moved myself in that direction. And I did a short film. Um, there's a there's a gentleman named Will Eisner. Are you familiar with Will Eisner? So the name kind of rings So Will about. Eisner, uh, just real quickly, Will Eisner is
0: oh wait, the, comic book. Yes. The Eisner Award. That's yes. Right. I'm like, I that rings a bell. Why does that ring a bell? Yes.
1: Right. So Will. Um, he's considered the father, for those who don't know, he's considered the father of modern comic form. He's the first guy who started to do comics that weren't just in square boxes. Yeah. He was doing, turned it into an art form, truly. And um, he was a very nice man and he had a great story and a great, an old comic called The Spirit. Mm, and mm. I, I wanted to make a short film out of it. So I literally contacted uh, Will and Will said, Hey, come down and see me. And I went down to New York City and saw him. He gave us the rights for free to make a short. A wonderful guy, wonderful guy. And even wrote um did some art for it. So my first short film was Will Eisner's The Spirit. A short story <laughs> called Ten Minutes. And I had a I had a partner back then who was, you know, um that didn't work out. He didn't really get it as much as I got it and yeah. wanted to do it. And and that short film won some awards and um kind of set me on my path. And in, in, in that I was going to some film festivals. And I remember we, we got selected and, and won an award at the Los Angeles International Film Festival. And I just realized I didn't wanna live in New York. I didn't wanna live in, I in, um, didn't wanna live in LA. Um, and didn't really wanna live in New York. And I also knew that I'd, I'd get, you know, I'd be a tiny, tiny fish in a really huge lake and I'd get, yeah. I'd get squashed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: I decided, you know, with, kept the business going uh, and I decided to make my first feature Time Chasers. It was 19 mm-hmm. when we started it. Um, and it's now notorious because Time Chasers has been on Mystery Science Theater three thousand and Rift Tracks, uh, but it's still we still license it and it's still out there and people made it. But I was nineteen. I, I wrote it. I directed it. That we shot it on weekends. Everybody was volunteer casting and crew, and it was my first feature and it got distributed and, and made, eventually made a profit. But that was what I wanted to do. And then I, you know, and, and hence why it gets mocked on Mystery Science Theater and and. Uh, and people come up to me, and you know, some people love the film, and some people love to hate the film. But some people love to make fun of the film. I don't care as long as they're entertained. Yeah. But it's you know, and for me, time shifts is kind of like if you have a if you have a college essay that you know someone thirty years later is still saying, oh yeah, I remember that. You know, that <laughs> sure that you, you want them to know about. It. But that what I learned by doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. After yeah, yeah, that, I sure. made a, a series of other features, um, and I and I learned, and you know, I, I did. I've worked in a lot of different genres. I've done cop dramas. I've done you know, straight up action, um, I'm a fan of sci-fi, um, and, and, we've, and we've done family movies as well. So I learned by doing and the more we did it, the bigger the, the budget's gone, and, and, and we went up on, on budget, and you know, at a certain point, um, we, were, I, we did this film called Icebreaker, which was my first million dollar movie, which was a big step, I think the biggest budget we had done till then was 325000 and Oh, that's a big jump. It's uh, a big jump, and we had Bruce Campbell, Stacey Keats, Sean Astin, and John James, who was here earlier. And uh, and that film did really well for the investors, and so it just kind of put us on that path, and I've been making movies ever since.
0: Ah. And, like, going back to Time Chasers, mm-hmm. can you think of, like, things that you did on that film that kind of taught you, like, right, so I should perfect this, or let me take this in a new direction? Like, what? Okay. what would kind of... You're, you're learning like steps from that film, well, do you the, think? The,
1: the first thing I have to say, if, if there are young filmmakers out there, or, or, or wannabe filmmakers out there, is don't try to make a feature first, make a short. Because we made a lot of mistakes on the spirit, and they were the kind of mistakes that we could afford to fix on a short, or to afford to live with on a short, yeah. that would have killed us on a feature. Right. And, right, it, and yeah. there's so many that I can't even count we're from... From the camera being out of sync for sound and everything and having to go back and, you know, there's just so many of those things. Mm. You know, make your, and, and make, your, make your short first or make many shorts before you make your feature because making a feature is a huge difference from making a short.
0: Okay. Um, and, and would you say, like, progress in time gradually? Like, so yeah. go from making, say, a 10-minute short to then a half an hour short Absolutely. to then a full. So yeah. you build up to that oh, I hour and so that I
1: mean, I think at a certain point, if you're making an hour short or making a 50 minute or 40 minute, you, you know, then maybe it's time to move up. It's yeah. not so much about the chronological time. It's about being able, to learn, being able to learn from your mistakes. And that's that's what you have to do. And I think that's what all filmmakers do is that you learn from your mistakes. You don't really learn from your successes. It's true of mm. anything in life. Um, time Chasers, because it was such a big endeavor and, and I've had this on, on the films that I have total control over. I always come up with a concept and a scope for the movie that's much larger than my budget and my time and, <laughs> and everything else and you know Time Chasers um, I think that's part of why it's endured as a film because there's an innocence to it and and uh, the, the, there's an innocence to it because we were all very young not just myself but the cast and the, the, the crew and the cast Yeah. and we were all rather innocent and, and very earnest in what we did um, And and we really worked our ass off on that movie and and I think it, I think it shows, and and you know I mean I, I as a filmmaker it's always hard to look at your old movies because you're always seeing the mistakes, <laughs> right? So I mean I'm proud of most of my movies, um, but it's they are hard to watch sometimes. But they're, you know that's just the way things are. You always <laughs> love your I love Accelerator now because that's my most recent child. But um, you know you, you learn by doing, and, and there was a lot of stuff on that movie, uh, you know, and not even just um, things that you would see on the screen, but the way that you run a set and deal with yeah. actors. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean yeah. that was that was something that over time I learned, and I learned from. I worked with some really good cinematographers, who were the kind of guys who the cinema, You know, in some movies, a cinematographer running the set. The director really isn't. Okay. Um, just because the director's weak or he doesn't have his act together. But I worked with enough cinematographers that you know I, as a director now, set the tone on the set, which is a light tone. Yeah. Um, a positive tone, a professional tone. Um, and a, and, a, and a persistent tone to get the shots and get get things done, um, but I learned by doing. it. Time Chasers was a huge leap for me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Like, and how do you set the tone? Is it like you gather everyone for a meeting mm-hmm. first, and you talk about you know the aims and objectives of the film, or is it just how you 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 know what I mean you you t- you run those shots right.
1: I don't think you can sit anybody down and and make that happen. I think you need to lead by example. Um, You lead by not letting anybody take themselves too seriously because you let them know you don't take them too seriously. Right, Um, right. Whether they're actors or or crew or anything else. Um, I I also am one of those people that, you know, if people are bringing bad energy to the set, I get rid of them. I don't keep them. Um, If the people are abusive or yellers, I don't keep them, they're gone. but you have to set that tone by example. Yeah. There was a time when we were very busy making a lot of uh, TV movies where I had a partner and, and I, and this is terrible but that's a story. Um, when we were working on these these million, what well, the a million eight TV movies, um, almost two million dollar TV movies, we would, because um, you, you get a crew of about 70, 80 on that, those movies, mm-hmm. we would always, just before shooting, find out who the most problematic or weakest crew member was and Fire them just before we started filming publicly and and loudly to make the point that we're in charge and we because we were young guys yeah you know, yeah, yeah to make yeah, the yeah, point yeah, that yeah. we're in charge and you're not yeah because there's always a bit of a battle the first days and uh, and have a replacement come in right in sending literally here's your plane ticket get out of here uh, and and yeah we so but mostly by example I'm going negative but <laughs> we I've <have> done
0: that <laughs> repeatedly. I mean that I think that's something you hear you know what I mean like.
1: When well, you're managing 70 people for yeah. a three-week three period and you're in your 20s, you know, late 20s, we were at that time, you need to set that example on what we were doing, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, like, I understand it from, like, running a project in the office and, like, at the very beginning, like, anyone that's fucking around, you, you, you call them out, yep. call them out in a meeting so then everyone realizes, oh... We don't, way, we, yeah, we don't fuck with this guy. This we, is the way we we, yeah, we yeah. listen to what happens and we produce when we're meant to be producing. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And and I also, um, you know, a lot of directors. You have the second AD, the first AD, and the second AD, which are, are the people that are supposed to be, you know, yelling. Okay, next shot, move on, whatever. I'm a director who is, whether I have one of those in, in place or not, I'm the one like, okay, we're over there. You know, next shot's over there. Right, so right. As we, you know, because you have to if if. If on set that, that, that urgency, that sense of urgency gets lost, you're in trouble, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're, because you, you, you're ticking off, when you're making a movie, it's expensive, and when you're ticking off minutes and you're ticking off hours, you can't waste time, you, you know, you need to make those decisions decisively and move on, so yeah.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, and um, so you made t- Time Chases, mm-hmm. and... It didn't initially, you know, it, it, how long did it take to make that profit? Like to break even, right. say. Well,
1: f- well, first of all, we made Time Chasers, and it was originally called Tangents, which I thought was a good name, but it referred to Time Tangents. And um, we were, it was, we had 16 millimeter prints back then of the movie, and we had reels on my arm, and we went to different distributors, and um, finally found a distributor, Artistry Entertainment, and they said the word tangent doesn't translate well in different languages. In some languages, it only has a mathematical meaning. Uh, so they came up with the title Time Chasers, and I was like, that's a terrible title. <laughs> but we had, we had spent almost three years making the movie, and we were broke, and we invested a lot of my, all, all the money we had to put in it. Um, I think the budget was about $150,000. And uh, we just wanted to make our money back. So yeah. we said, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but it didn't initially, you know, kind of blow up anyone's skirt. It did okay. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't really until uh, the 90s where, I think it was the early 90s, um, we got a call from our distributor or view and they said, um, we got good news and bad news. And I said, oh, about time changes. And I said, okay, hit me. And they said, well, the good news is we've, um, we've sold it to the sci-fi channel. I said, that's great news. I said, what's the bad news? <laughs> the bad news, it's on Mystery Science Theater 3000. Because <laughs> they obviously wanted my okay for it. And I said, that's not bad news. That, but we were, and then back then, we were trading VHSs of the show around yeah. because we couldn't get it. And I said, no, that's fine. And so we did that. And then, and then eventually, that put the, the film just about a break even. And what actually put the film at profit was they came back and relicensed the, what they had done for the U.K., um, and by the way, they did that, they've now done that three times, licensing for the U.S. and U.K. Okay. MST3K has done that. They, they, we have a good relationship with them. Um, but, it, but it was, you know, the, but the U.K. sale was what put the film in profit. But it also raised the profile of me and of the film. And the film um, keeps licensing, relicensing to territories. So, you know, I'll come up, he'll call me and say I have a Spain deal for that movie. And it's funny because we own about 16 movies, um, and there are a lot of those movies that sit and they're not doing their library titles and I can't give them away. Um, it's really that. odd. And, but Time Chasers, which is in my mind the most crude, my, and my oldest feature, mm. um, has this continued life that goes on and on. And um, just in 2016, Riff Tracks relicensed it and they did a theatrical um, uh, 700 screens in the U.S. did a live riffing and they did that twice. It was 1,400 screens. Had to cast the night down to uh, Nashville through that, and we had a great time. So, oh, it, had, cool. it had a theatrical release that, you know, the size of a, of a major indie movie, you know, a mm. major, major studio movie, forget about an indie movie. And um, so, Time Chasers, you know, continues to, to, to move forward, and, and I'm proud of it. It's great. And, and with Time Chasers, I don't care if, if people, like I said before, if they don't like it or, or, or like it or don't like it, you know, as long as it made their day, great. As long as they're entertained, great. That's the job.
0: Yeah, no, that yeah, definitely ran. That did it, kind of impact you the f- like the f- the fact that it took a while for you to kind of you know make money on the film. Did that impact how you made your next film and approached the process? Well,
1: you know what what impacted us was um, being able to look at the mistakes we made on Time Chasers and getting some of the initial money in. Um, time changes was a little over $150,000 we printed to film we did a theatrical release with it dragged prints around um, but then it, it opened up doors for us with di- in distribution and those guys said to us "Hey, you, know, you should finish on video shoot on film, finish on video um, you don't need to do a theatrical, that's, that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, 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 so, it, the next movie I made was a movie called Diamond Run, which we made just for half, we made for about $70,000. And that money was, you know, the returns on Accelerator, I mean Accelerator, <laughs> see my <laughs> recent movie. My hey,
0: recent it really movie. is time travel. I right know, it's time travel. <laughs> but, you know, the
1: returns, so we took what returns we had on Time Chasers and flipped them into Diamond Run, And Diamond Run made a profit right away, and then we moved into a movie called Pressure Point, which was which was dollars, and and that movie made a profit right away. And that was a time where um, the the market was really hot for indie. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a time where VHS was very hot, so you literally could and I hate to say this, but you literally could release home movies on VHS, you know, and and put a title movie title on it and it would (laughs) sell. Because there was a rental market for that. And the same thing with DVD for for a while there. And so there was a real demand for content. And so, you know, we learned. Although Time Chasers took a long time to make its money back, we kept moving forward Mm. anyway. We had that enthusiasm. And I I think that that was the benefit of being young um, and having that energy. I think that was important. And I think also what I learned with Time Chasers was um, how do I say this right? I didn't know enough. To know that I was getting myself into trouble in making that movie. Yes. So, because I didn't know what I didn't know, I made the movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I suffered through all the mistakes and trials and travails. But that's how the movies get made with passion and with, with as much energy as you got.
0: Oh, yeah. I see. That's the thing. Knowledge can definitely cripple you. Absolutely. You know, so Absolutely. going in naive and not knowing, yeah, there's definitely the, you can see how that can free you. To do what you want to do.
1: Absolutely. And and that was one of the things that as I've gotten older as a filmmaker, I've learned that um and and this is kind of my mantra now, which is it's you can have the best cinematography, you can shoot it you can shoot and you can shoot it on the state of most state of the art camera in the world. You can have the greatest actors, greatest crews, greatest everything. But if you don't tell a good story, if you Mm -hmm. don't impact people emotionally, um, then what are you doing? Yes. You know what I mean. Um, or if you don't make them laugh, you don't make them cry, you don't make them feel something. What are you doing? And and that's the running joke I have right now is that, you know cinematographers they want shoot, to shoot on this camera or that camera. You got to do this. I'm like, when's the last time you watched a movie and you said to yourself, boy, you know, I'm so glad they used this camera. <laughs> no, you
0: don't. You,
1: you know, you, right? You you, you want to see the movie. I mean, yeah. You want to be impacted by. It. I mean, people are making great content. Um, and they're shooting it on their iPhone. Mm. You know what I mean? And you can do that. And and I mean, I'm not saying that you know professionalism doesn't need to be there, but for me, where I've gotten to is it's about the story, the story of the story, characters, yeah. the story. What are we communicating?
0: Okay, no, that's great. Um, how do you kind of? What's your process now for content? You know, like. Okay. How much stuff do you have, you know, running at the same time? Do you still do the TV work? Like what? You know, what I mean, how do you run the studio? So
1: I stopped doing um, TV movies uh, because I found you when you do movies for TV, like we did you know, commercial movies. We did movies for the Hallmark Channel. We did movies for for Lifetime. We did movies, you know, for for a number of different companies. And those movies, my company doesn't own. But you, it's a job and there you work for a bunch of kind of mid-level managers that fancy themselves as creatives and I just found that that kind of sapped my energy I found myself and when I started producing more um I had young kids at the time and I was I was producing more and doing second unit and found myself fixing other directors mistakes and other crew members mistakes and and but but even when I was directing those movies um it just became one of those things where I just enough's enough you know what I mean um Occasionally, I'll do one now and then, but for me, my process now is, um, I, and also I think it's important to note that I do other things too. Um, as now, I didn't always, but as if I also am in um, some commercial real estate where I live and, and some other businesses because I, I found out that it's um, important to be diverse as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Film business is real tough. Um, the cycles for it are real long. Uh, you can make a movie, invest all your money in it, and you may not see your money for five years. You mean well, I never see your money. Yeah. So yeah, I'm diverse in what I do, but I'm focused on, um, okay, what's a piece of, what's an idea or a literary property that moves me? Um, okay. What's something that intrigues me? And and I'm developing some stuff now even where I'm, I'm excited about them because I'm just excited about them personally. And I think mm. they're good stories there. And I think other people will like them. And and that's where I'm at. I'm, You know, there was a time where my company was making movies – where we would listen to the distributor and that's the movie we'd go make, right? right. not yeah. doing that so much now. Um, they're not as happy about it, but I don't care. You know what I mean? I, I, I've got to stand by those movies. Mm. There's some movies that I made in, in my past that were, you know, they, they were cash grabs, but they were me making a movie that the distributor told me to make. And <clears throat> distributors, um, well, first of all, you know, TV people, they'll put any kind of crap on TV as long oh, as yeah. it's ratings, right? You yeah, know, yeah. We all yeah. know that. And, and the people that I deal with in the film biz, they're not creatives, they're money people. Yes. So why am I listening to them? And I would get the most inane comments. As a of fact, we did one movie <laughs> called Ice Queen um, that I, I produced and, and was cinematographer on and, and it was my company, uh, that was supposed to just be a disaster movie. We had, actually, typical Roger Corman kind of thing. We had, we had studios and stages back then. And we had done a landslide movie. So we had all these sets that were um, full of dirt, you know, from the landslide yeah. and, and false bottoms. And they were really expensive. Another company paid for it. We had, we had warehouses full of these sets. And so we said, we're gonna make a landslide movie, or we're gonna make an avalanche movie. So we took all the dirt and painted what we could white and then brought in fake snow and covered it over. And we made <laughs> it, we, we had a, a decent screenplay to make this avalanche movie. Um, and uh, then one of the video guys chimed in and we we really need a monster in it, you know. We should have a monster in it, and then, well, we need a dog. We found out that we can put a dog on the po- on the DVD box that we do 10, 10 to twenty percent more on the time. So we put a fucking dog in it, right? So now I got a, now I have a disaster drama that's got a killer monster um, woman named the Ice Queen in it, and a guy talking to a dog for one other act in the movie. Was well, not a bad movie, but it just got so diluted Yeah into, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, and it didn't perform particularly well either and there was nothing for anybody to grab onto mm-hmm. it was just these elements thrown in there I'm not doing that anymore you know yeah. <laughs> And, and I, have other, I have numerous stories about that but you know I'm not doing that and, and, and so I, I do what I want to do now and, and, I, and I enjoy it more and I also take more time with the films like with Accelerator mm-hmm. I'm here uh, Sci-Fi London we, we won an award at Sci-Fi Boston we're going to go on other festivals I like that interplay with the audience and it takes a little longer, but I think it helps me grow as a filmmaker better. So the more time, I think always, whether you make a movie that, that works or doesn't work, the more time you spend with an audience watching it, the more you're going to grow as a filmmaker. So Yeah, yeah. And I never can't, once you stop growing as a filmmaker, you might as well quit making movies. So, I'm still growing and I'm still working on that.
0: That makes sense. And how do you, like, process that feedback? Do you, like, write notes? Or do you just kind of store it in the... You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I'm very big on writing stuff down. I'm very big on note, on, I've got notepads with me or, or I'll take my iPhone and go into notes and make little notes here and little notes there. Um, at one point I thought I could keep that all in my head but you really just can't. You know, you really, it's, if you have a good idea, write it down because you're going to forget it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so I'm, true. I'm definitely a big note taker, you've got to. You've
0: got to. <laughs> all right. That, no, that's great. And you know, you have all this knowledge. Do you kind of find ways to pass that on to up-and-coming kind of directors and stuff like that? Well, I
1: did, I taught film school, even though I didn't go to film school, I taught film school, film two, for a few year, years at a local university, but it was just too much in terms of the hours and commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, and I did a lot of that in, in the middle part of my career where I was working with other directors and passing that stuff on. I think now because of, we're pushed into smaller budgets than I've had before. You know, we're not making those million eight movies anymore. Um, we're pushed into budgets that are, you know, that are a third or, or a quarter or, ha- or half. Well, we a third or a quarter of what we used to make these movies for. So yeah. you're working with younger crew members. So yeah, they learn on the set and, and because I run that light set, they have a chance to learn. Cool. We have a lot of interns and they learn by seeing. Okay. By seeing us too.
0: Okay, and um, you know, sometimes you see it that, a director will work with the same cinematographer Mm -hmm. and producers and things like that. Composers. Like, have you found like, as you've kind of grown in this industry Mm -hmm. that you, you're working with the same people a lot?
1: You know, it's funny. I did for a while. I worked with, um, the same cinematographer for a while, same composer for a while, same production team for a while. And then I took a break. Um, and I did. I did a movie called *Illegal Aliens*, which was a sci-fi comedy um, that that we cast Anna Nicole Smith in and Johnny and Lauer. If You know So, what you?
0: so did they played Mexicans?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, they, played, they played. They played aliens. They played aliens from outer space. Thank you. Well done. Well done, my friend. They played aliens from outer space who could morph into uh, different objects and were down here trying to fight a villain. And it was you know, sci-fi. And, uh, and it turned into a real big shit show because uh, before we could release the movie, Anna Nicole Smith overdosed. Her son overdosed. He was, he was, a, he was a producer on the film. She overdosed. Um, she was terrible to work with, couldn't remember her, her lines. Didn't know how to read which is something people know she, she couldn't read very well at all So she couldn't even read the cue cards that we had for her. See. It was a miserable experience and then unfortunately Joni Lauer Who was wonderful she overdosed as well. So my entire oh cast named Castle, the movie Overdosed So it was it was and the movie bombed because of all of this bad press. Yeah, um, yeah No one even saw it and uh, literally had two pallets of DVDs mm. at, at Edgewood Studios and still that were returned from um, The stores that were selling them so, I, I, you know, I, I just said it was time to step back there and I did a little more light producing and, like I said, diversified things. And, um, and what was the question? How did I get on this? this? <laughs> it's like working
0: with the same people. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I
1: had a point. Did you know, <laughs> did you know I had a point? <laughs> so what happened, I took this break and... Um, Decided to make um, Accelerator, which is the first dramatic feature I've directed. and last thing was a documentary I did in 2013. So it's the first dramatic feature I've done in seven years, something like that, six, seven years. And I went back to some of the same people, and they had all moved on, meaning they had either left the film business. Right, right. Um, or they uh, had moved up in the film business. or you know, Most of them got out of the film business. And I, I spent... Uh, I lost a lot of time trying to put the band back together. Mm. And you can't do that. And so one of the things that I did with Accelerator, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to put the band back together. We're going to have to shoot all digital. Um, I want to be as bleeding edge on the technology and everything else as I can. I need to find fresh, new, young people and everything. So right down from... I mean, with the exception of some of the actors that fit for the roles... The, the cinematographer I worked with was my first female cinematographer, Georgia Fantasopoulos, did a fantastic job. I worked with her again in a heartbeat. Um, this was her first feature. okay um, And being that I was a cinematographer, I was comfortable in having her come in and mm. knowing that, that things would work out. And then she brought in a lot of crew um, that she had worked with, um, working as an assistant camera on bigger movies. Right, right. So usually what we do is, you know, we'll bring people that are working on movies bigger movies and we'll move them up a couple of positions on board. yeah. So for in, in her case, she was a first A C or a second A C assistant camera. Um we moved her up to cinematographer. Okay. Because she she'd done some cinematography work and she was primed to move up. Yeah. So we that's yeah, what yeah, you yeah, do yeah. Is you kind of move crew up and then you pay them very little. Yes. But they get it but they get it on their their resume. So so I have been working with probably ninety percent new people on Accelerator. Okay. And and that's been creatively reinvigorating for me uh-huh. because it allowed me to embrace the technology that's out there. Um, I used to shoot a lot on film. I love film. I love film as a medium. I'm not a filmmaker who can afford to shoot on film. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not that guy. And since everything is released most of the time um, on digital, then you know, for what I'm doing, it, it just makes sense. But that digital workflow, I find exciting. Um, and and I find the new tools exciting, and uh, and i plan playing with them, having a good time. Now, having just to make clear on film, I still love watching film. I was um, at the Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival a couple months ago, and they were big on bringing prints in. Right. They'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Film yeah. prints in of. Uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, oh, an actual damn. film print. Love that. Film. And I got to—I didn't get to catch it, but I got to catch a film print of Rollerball, the James Bond film.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was
1: really interesting in a big theater with a good projector. Film has this just different tactile, transcendent feel to it. Mm. you Feel more like you're there than digital. and yeah. I just think that was wonderful. yeah. And I—I'd I'd love to—I'd love to do that, but just not in my budget. Yeah. yeah. That's understandable. I mean, I'd like to own a Ferrari too, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, you're reinvigorated,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what's what's next? What's kind of bubbling, waiting for, um, you know, that transition to um, the camera?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think for me, um, there there is actually another sci-fi project that's at the top of my list. Um, that's based on a book that we're, we're negotiating the rights for to, to license it so I can't talk about it yet mm-hmm. um, but there's another sci-fi thing um, and the reason is it's just a project that intrigues me I find it interesting I think it uh, and, and I'm not a high-handed by any means but I think it it's a it's a story that is not only plays on its own is an exciting um, thriller sci-fi thriller but um, and a genre film, it's also something that can tell us something greater about ourselves. Okay. You know, it's one of those that, and I i always love, I'm a huge fan of the original Star Trek because those screenplays and those stories were so great. And let's be honest, the production values weren't, you know, they were of a period. <laughs> they were of a period. But I just love those stories, those stories where they're telling you this story that you can watch on a simple level, um, but yet there's there's a greater truth behind it.
0: Yeah, yeah, Not, no, not,
1: a, not a moralistic. We're telling you the way to live, or anything like that. So, the, so I've always, so I've got a story like that that I'm really excited uh, about. So that's what uh, I'm working on, and that's that's a couple of meetings I'll be taking in Cannes too. Okay. So,
0: yeah. Ah, so interesting, interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm, i you know, hopefully I'll know more in the next six months.
0: All right. So, yeah. So what? Once you've got that um, locked down, maybe we can I'll have a, co- a conversation. Yeah,
1: absolutely, I'd love to talk.
0: Outstanding. All right. Before we go, a couple of quick little questions. All right, so now, you know, using new techniques and with all the knowledge you've learned, Mm -hmm. would you remake Time Chasers?
1: Would I remake Time Chasers? Yeah. No, and I've been asked to make sequels to Time Chasers, um, and and I literally have been pitched. Time Chasers has just had such a following. It's incredible. I've been pitched um, by other people, Mm, mm. I would say half dozen times. Seriously. Okay. I mean, seriously, a yeah. sequel to Time Chasers. Oh, okay. And and one person at, at one point sent me a 42-page treatment. Damn. Um, their version of what time... Yeah, people have invested a lot in Time <laughs> Chasers. Whether it's the Mystery Science Theater or just because they dig the movie they mm. discovered it through that. And. Um, but, you know, I had to get back to the cast in 2016. Of course, actors always want to act and they'd love to do a sequel and it would be fun but um, I... I'm not the person I was when I made Time Chasers. Yeah, 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 So, I don't think I could bring to Time Chasers... I mean, I said what I wanted to say with Time Chasers. I ended that story really the way I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Mm. Joking, because I've been up for two days. Um, (laughs) Because I came over from Vermont. Anyways, uh, so I I, I ended... Time Chasers ended the way I want. Had a very um, circular quality about it that I wanted, the arc I wanted. Uh, And... I'm not that guy anymore, so that's not the project for me. So know I, mm. I wouldn't remake Time Chasers, and 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 and, and it's not just because it's that that innocence that we had because it was my first film, because it was everybody's first film, is why I think it appeals to people. Yeah. And you, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. like you, you, you can't replicate that, mm. and I'm not going to try. I'm I'm not going to go backward. I'm going to go forward.
0: Okay. Cool. Cool. And lastly. Mm-hmm. Where did the name for the studio come from?
1: Edgewood Studios, pretty simple. It, it, you know, I, I like to tell people it's because we're, we're always on the edge of Hollywood. So <laughs> it's not the truth. Uh, I grew up on Edgewood Drive. <laughs> that's the truth. So it's really...
0: Anticlimactic. I know, I'm sorry. God damn it, I'm man. Sorry. i know, I, I apologize. <laughs> I grew up on Edgewood Drive and I thought such a good name. That's it that burnout and just say you no know, because we're on the edge of Hollywood <laughs> Outstanding man thank you very much for your time Thank
1: you and, and listen man it's been great chatting with you really appreciate your time as well
0: Great man it's been a pleasure and so yeah Accelerator is the new film mm-hmm. so people if you see it at a festival near you make sure you go and check it out.
1: And you can find out more uh, on our web, the website accelerator uh, com, and then Facebook accelerator movie. And we're working on Instagram and Twitter accelerator movie, <laughs> but it's all under accelerated movie. If you're looking to find more of it, type in accelerator
0: movie. Okay. Great, David. Thank you. Okay, people. So yeah, that's the episode. <laughs> I mean, um, Hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed it all. You know, what I mean, the, the breakdown and um everything David had to say. I thought it was fascinating. You know, I mean? just I like understanding the minutiae that goes into like the processes of things. So you know, what I mean, I really appreciate the fact that he was happy enough to sit down and talk about all of this and. Hey, I I'll let you into a little secret, right? We had already sat down and talked for like 40 minutes on um accelerator. So him and John, we'd already sat down, had that conversation, and then it was just like, oh, do you have another do you have a spare, you know, few minutes just for a quick chat? And then it ended up, oh shit, we talked for another 40 minutes. So David um, is so generous with his time. So, I I really appreciated that. But, um, yeah. Check out, if you can, all of these films. Because they were all so good. And they told stories in different ways. You know, it's just that thing. Just because something is classified as sci-fi... It doesn't mean it all has to be the same. So, the fact that we got to see all these different variations. It's, it's great. It's great. And I think it speaks so much to the vision Louis had in putting this together. You know what I mean? Like, just remember... Him and Marta go through so many submissions and they pick, you know, they have to pick out just this small selection that is given to the public to digest. So, hey, the fact that everyone left every day so... Energised and happy with what they saw Hey, it's down to those motherfuckers You know what I mean? It's down to them And the talented directors Producers DPs, cinematographers Actors, actresses Everyone that Was just a part of this So Check out 2020 Check out all the films Follow these people on Social media Hey, and enjoy yourselves you're in and, and maybe look maybe next year you might have your own thing you're in debuting who knows but uh yeah look forward to chatting with you then all right so um hey tomorrow remember check echoes from the void that will be dropping and then on thursday we've got another episode another full fat episode of echo chamber so people enjoy and i will catch you whenever i do all right peace